This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. This is Mike at I am Mike White, also on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Okay, so it's been actually it's been a few weeks um, since we recorded longer longer than we said longer than we said yeah but we're back Um, and first up I get or if you want to get into talking about the first movie Mike do you want to go first I did and this is kind of weird since we're recording it so far apart I was almost like okay so we intro each movie and. try to remember but i'm i'm gonna try to forget everything i said about before i think that would make for the most interesting conversation absolutely so i have i it's been we'll say three weeks and i have no idea what i said um (laughs) before all i know is that i was to watch 2001 a space odyssey and i had never seen it Copious notes. Hopefully, you guys forget notes. Go right ahead. Yeah. All right, here we go. Um, I spent several hours in the week since I watched 2001 trying to figure out why this movie is so revered. Several hours. Uh, I found and can cite no less than 10 instances of people saying something to the effect of, I can't explain why I like it, I just do. That to me is unacceptable. I used to say things like that in junior high, but there is nothing today that I can't explain my interest in. Uh, and that is my fundamental issue with 2001 A Space Odyssey. It bothers me how many people just like it just because. <clears throat> I'm a movie buff. I have loved in my years of watching movies some very, very obscure movies. I've loved slow movies and I've loved long movies. Uh, I've even loved movies drubbed by critics, but I can always tell you why. I hate, hate that 2001 made me feel like an idiot. Reading about 2001 made me feel like I was reliving the worst kind of high school hell. Not only was was I on the outside of an exclusive club looking in, but the club was made of people I thought I was similar to. I'm an outcast in my old world. And it's natural to blame myself. What's wrong with me? Why didn't I get it? Well, I didn't get 2001, but for the sake of the show and the criticism and probably also my pride, um, I've got to blame the members of that group. I'm including you, my dear friends, who suggested I watch this movie. Mm -hmm. 2001 is a bad movie, and you guys are wrong. (laughs) Damn. Stanley Kubrick. Uh, There's more. (laughs) That was page one. (laughs) (laughs) Stanley Kubrick is a polarizing figure. Uh, He's known for films that push boundaries and often makes movies where the plot or the the point of the movie is simply to endure the thing. And I don't mean that negatively. The Shining is a masterpiece. 
I don't use that word lightly. It is a masterpiece in tone that must be endured. Clockwork Orange asks us to endure sympathizing or glamorizing its despicable villainous lead character, Alex DeLarge. The thing to endure in 2001 are the painfully long shots where nothing happens. I understand that the point was to show the vastness of space and the isolation it can bring. But staring at a pizza for 20 minutes doesn't make me understand pizza is delicious any more than a 30-second Papa John's spot. Please pardon the reference. I ate Papa John's while I watched the movie, and that's in my notes. (laughs) (laughs) Time in 2001 A Space Odyssey is wasted. And I can think of longer movie, uh, specifically one of my favorites, Schindler's List, uh, that doesn't waste a single shot. And don't tell me that it was just, uh, that it was the theme that was important. In 1968, far superior works of fiction had been created that contemplated the future and wondered about the origin of man. 1984 was written almost is was almost 20 years old at the time, and A Brave New World was older than 30. I understand and agree that in 1968, the special effects in 2001 are revolutionary. Even today, some scenes are breathtaking. Uh, and weren't really matched until last year's Gravity. But the themes explored are hardly mind-blowing and pretty cool at best. Uh, I would offer Eric Von Daniken's Chariots of the Gods, which is an even better study on the alien origin of life. Uh, Psychedelia and long takes does not a masterpiece make. <clears throat> the score or soundtrack, whatever you want to call it, I don't know how much of it was wrote, written for, for the movie. Uh, the score is a funny thing. Being so familiar with the Thus Spake Zarathustra, I don't know how to pronounce that. Yeah. Uh, I equate it with pompous grandeur. So at first, like when I heard it, I rolled my eyes until I realized this was the first use of it in the film uh, and the waltz later on. Uh, and I actually appreciate it. The music absolutely works for the film. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> HAL 9000 also worked. Critics have said that, uh, um, has said after they say in the past that he was um, the most human character in the movie. Uh, But I think that's Kubrick's point. And I can even appreciate that. The problem comes in when the reason for Hal's defectiveness is left ambiguous. Uh, It's, it's an example of a movie. um, Sorry, hold on. Yeah. It's one example of a movie filled with ambiguity. And I've said before on this podcast that I'm not a fan of ambiguity, but when a movie's foundation is built upon it, I cannot forgive it. 2001 is a head trip uh, trick. It's a head trip trick Kubrick is playing on viewers. He's saying, if you get it, then you haven't gotten it at all. Science, technology, and space travel are so antithetical to the free love psychedelic, psychedelic era of the late 60s, 60s, excuse me, that I can't begin to understand why Kubrick thought to blend them. It's no surprise that youth counterculture discovered and adored the movie a year after its release, 1969, The Summer of Love. Therein lies my theory about why this movie is so highly regarded. Young people in 68 and 69 would quite literally actively participate in the psychedelic Stargate scene. Tripping balls. <laughs> uh, these people, I think, grew up to be critics and the vocal majority and the people who watch films and the people who live in Hollywood, the people who praised the film. It's why the majority in the people the majority of people in the 60s actually dismiss the film and why many people today, including myself, don't get it. Too much must be forgiven to enjoy 2001. 
Uh, even its most ardent fans admit it's vague, long, and often boring, but they always give a, but I love it. Why? Please, someone tell me why. And unfortunately, and perhaps close-mindedly, I probably wouldn't believe you anyway. I saw 2001, and I deeply wished I hadn't. I was perfectly fine having a vague idea that it was one of the greatest movies of all time. Now I see that I don't agree with some people when I... Uh, some people whom I regard highly, and it bums me out. Again, I felt like an outsider, but at least I can explain why. End. So many things. <laughs> you yeah. said so many things. I did. I'm sorry. I apologize. I know that doesn't work well for um, for conversation. I do apologize for that. Oh, no. No, no. But, it's, uh, that's great. I, I wanted to make sure I had all my thoughts in order, and, and I got those out before we started before we started talking. You can't watch that movie and not have a lot of things to say. Right. Yeah. Surely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Where to begin? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> I think the overall theme is that you're you're puzzled as to what people like about it. Yeah, and it's kind of a fundamental problem I have with myself and interest in anything. When I feel like I clearly get what there is to like about something and somebody doesn't like it, uh, then I'm confused. And the same goes for the flip side. When there's really nothing I can find, I just don't understand why people like it. Like, I, I can get that you like it, but why it's like the number six greatest film of all time. Um. <clears throat> And Matt, I, you called it one of your favorite movies? Absolutely. Me too. Okay. Can you explain again why, just for me, I know you mentioned it earlier on the podcast. Yes. I love this movie because as much as I grow as a movie watcher and as a human being, every time I see it, the ending is changed for me. Like my my kind of perspective on the ending, the it, it is a very ambiguous movie. But it's also one of representative of one of my favorite things about movies is that it inspires a lot of conversation and a lot of different uh, interpretations and things. So my as I kind of grow as a person, the movie grows with me as my interpretation of the ending is kind of altered and changed as I as I grow as a person and consume all these different life experiences and things like that. Like, mm-hmm. um. And it's kind of, it just puts it into a different perspective for me. And I love the, just. (sighs) I've seen movies that employ that type of ending and they are considered not good. (laughs) And they are more entertaining at times than 2001. I I don't think the, a bit, the, um, the allowance for your own interpretation makes a great movie. Hmm. Inspires great conversation. Sure. And it's kind of... Sure, but so does Twilight. We did a whole episode on Twilight. Well, we did a third of an episode on Twilight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to ignore the... Okay, you're not you're not comparing 20, 2001 and Twilight. So, okay, okay. Let me shake... No, that. I'm not. There no, is no, 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 no comparison. Twilight was more fun to watch. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay. That's not true. Twilight's a bad movie. Okay, Are yeah. Um... No, just in in yeah, the visual effects are great and I love its its romanticized version of the future of humankind 
in the in the in the gaze of 1968, 1967, whenever it was actually filmed, mm-hmm. um, that time period. And like, there are chunks of the movie that, like, the whole part with uh, um, wow, what is the guy's name? The guy, the uh, him going to the 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 space station, um, at the yeah. beginning of the movie. That's just that's fantastic. I thought that that was just a really great view. It was like it was like a window to this alternate kind of retro universe where where obviously the fashion and stuff isn't really that in line obviously with with what 2001 was like but it's this it's this hopeful vision of the future of humankind and that I respect and I, and I loved seeing it and then with the whole how how stuff how was interesting he was very how was a very interesting character yeah <clears throat> for the so, 20 minutes he was in the movie <laughs> so Mike, can can it be said that your your largest issue with the film is that you're just not a fan of ambiguity? Um, or would you say that that's obje- one of or, them? Or would you My say largest... that objectively ambiguity just sucks? Uh, well, I would say my biggest problem with the film is that it's boring. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well. <sighs> I okay. I said I said in the first half of this, or when we were discussing uh, 2001 before, mm-hmm. uh, three weeks ago. Um, I'm I'm absolutely with you on the the extraneous takes just mm-hmm. being too long. Just the the one where the the music is climaxing and that spaceship is just docking, just coming <laughs> into that dock, and it's like a minute and 45 seconds of just it's so stupid, wasted, drives, literally drives me nuts. wasted. Yeah drives me nuts i'm with you on that um but i think you have to separate the film into two different things because it has this remarkable famous ending which again i I know you're not a fan of but then you have the the whole the whole entirety of the body of the film and they're really two different things because Mm -hmm. the the first the body of the film is very linear and it you know it's there's this huge expanse of of time but then the ending of it is so you know, psychedelic to use your to use your term, which I think is kind of kind of a good good term for it. Um, but um, so you kind of have to analyze those two things separately, in my opinion. And the reason why I appreciate the body of the film so much, despite the fact that there it has those extraneous takes and just lukewarm dialogue, um, is the fact that it's an absolutely amazing achievement of filmmaking. Because that's the kind of movie fan I am a lot of the time. When I watch a film, I, I just like to break it down, the, the different the way that it was filmed, the way that it was made, how this was written, camera angles, all that stuff. And Stanley Kubrick did things with this film that had never been done before. Mm-hmm. Like this, when people learned how he made some of this stuff, they were absolutely blown away. And it's it's stuff that like... You know, Christopher Nolan didn't use again. Nobody used again until Christopher Nolan started blowing our minds. You know, it's just it, it, that's that's the scope of that film. It's it is a technical masterpiece when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why I love that part of the film, and and I love the the weirdness of it. The, the weirdness really messes with my mind. Um, and then I to talk about the ending. I love ambiguity because. A lot of pe- a lot of people say that there's with ambiguity there's just nothing to get like what's what's the message, um, 
it's yours. It's your message. That's that's what I love about it is that this movie can be that an ambiguous movie like that can be for everyone. Mm-hmm. Whatever you take away is yours exclusively. And it doesn't matter what anybody else said. Or maybe you don't have a very good you couldn't process it very well, so you'll hear what somebody else took from it and that will change your mind so much and change your opinion and and, and it make you think about make you think about it again, analyze it all over again. And like Matt said, the first time I saw the movie, I was 14 or 15 maybe, and I had this whole theory about what the ending meant. And I saw it again when I was like 19 or 20, and I had this whole different theory about what it meant. And then me and Matt went and saw it in the theater two, three years ago, and I had an entirely different theory again. And just it just it is an evolutionary film, yeah. and it just blows my mind all the time. And mm-hmm. I'm. I'm I'm surprised. I didn't think you were gonna like it that much, mm-hmm. but I thought that you might appreciate it mm-hmm. because of its technical amazement. I don't. I often don't like things that just just by um, sheer reputation alone they're considered untouchable. That had that going against it anyway. Like I I don't like how Stanley Kubrick is considered untouchable. And how people can forgive boring scenes uh, and and talk about how great of a film achievement it was while overlooking the 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 boring stuff. I agree with you. There are things that had never been done before. And like I said, shots of space that weren't matched until 2013. Right. Mm-hmm. Th- those are technical marvels, and, and he is a genius, and he has an eye for those types of things. Those are fantastic. However... He also made a boring movie. And and I understand that he also changed how film is perceived. Like film doesn't have to be about telling a story. Filling, film can be about a visual thing. Film can be about tone. The Shining. Mm-hmm. Um, so while I don't love ambiguous endings, I've seen movies with ambiguous endings that I've appreciated because the journey was entertaining. The journey, the journey was not entertaining. I, I didn't enjoy the movie enough to think enough about the ending, uh, to, to call it, to call it good. Hmm. Clearly I'm wrong. Clearly I don't get it. I don't, so I don't know. No, that's what's great about the movie yeah. is you can't be wrong. Yeah. Whatever you yeah. take away from it is yours alone. And it's, there's no, there's no wrong answer. That's, that's one of the great things about it. Um, yeah, and I wouldn't say that Kubrick is untouchable. Or, I mean, sure, in the per- perception of, of movie In the perception and, of the people who like him, he is yeah. untouchable. And that's, that's a shame, because if he's untouchable, I, I like his work. And I love 2001, I love The Shining, I love, I love uh, the first part of uh, Full Metal Jacket. Mm-hmm. Um, but... If he's untouchable, like, I, I don't think that we can say objectively, like, he's uh, untouchable. And I, I hate that idea that, like, fans of things will be like, oh, that's untouchable. You can't say anything bad because that's Kubrick. Because mm-hmm. in that case, I can't say anything bad about Scorsese, a, a director right. that I, I just kind of hit or miss with. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but I, I don't know how exactly to defend the movie against, I mean, I, and I mean, it's your opinion. It's totally that's fine. I don't, I don't think mm-hmm. you should feel bad for not 
as you said, not getting it or anything because like we each take what we, what we, what we take from, from the movie. So it's not a bad thing that you didn't like it or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, it's weird. Like I said, and to kind of go back to what you were asking, Tiny, the biggest problem was I had it was boring. I, I didn't mean to say that. My biggest problem is how the movie made me feel about myself. Okay. Like, it's like, I feel like the roles are reversed and I'm trying to explain the Beatles to someone who doesn't like the Beatles. Like, hmm. fuck you. They're the Beatles. <laughs> like, clearly it's your problem. Cause it's the Beatles, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and I just, in this instance, I don't get the Beatles. Okay. And okay. that bums me out. I, I wish I hadn't seen the movie. Hmm. Darn. Yeah. yeah that's, sorry guys. Yeah. I really wanted to like it. Oh, that's cool. I really, really did. Yeah. I, I was skeptical the whole time. I was like, yeah, he's probably not going to like I, it. <laughs> I knew, I, I, I even said when we, when we talked three weeks ago, like I, I have a feeling that he was going to hate it just because I mean, going into it, not liking Kubrick, mm-hmm. um, and, 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 uh, the whole ambiguity and, and long shots and everything. That's, that's something that, I mean, I, it was, it was, uh, it would have been a fool's it, it would have been it would have been foolish for me to think that you would love it because yeah. I, I know you i i know you and i know that you probably wouldn't like it not yeah. to say that that is any indicator of your taste in movies or anything it's just not a movie for you and it's not a movie yeah. for a lot of people yeah um but i would even go as far as say it's it's not even that i dislike Kubrick. It's that I didn't like this movie. (laughs) You know, I've gone at length about why The Shining is not one of my favorites. And I think the ending just kind of makes me go, but I I also don't think there's a shot wasted in The Shining. Right. Every every second of a long shot that goes a little too long is tension in The Shining. Yeah. Perfectly executed tonal tension. And I didn't feel that at all. You brought up uh, you brought up another film, Schindler's List, and obviously these two films are not comparable in right. pretty yeah. much any way. The only thing they have in common is that with among film buffs and critics and what have you, they're considered some of the better movies of all time. You know, mm-hmm. and they, to my point, they're long. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they would they would both be in many top one hundred lists. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at the analyzation of those two movies. Something like Schindler's List, pretty much everybody's going to like it and everybody's going to have a very similar reaction to it. Mm-hmm. it when, you, when you sit down with your friends and you talk about Schindler's List, you're going to talk about how it made you feel depressed and sad and hopeful at the same time. And it was, you know, uh, Spielberg was amazing. He didn't waste a shot. I agree with everything you said. Um, but when you talk about 2001, you're going to have an entirely different conversation. And you're all going to have different theories. You're going to have so many different things to break down. Um, it's something that when I watched Schindler's List when I was probably for the, for the first time when I was like probably 14 or 15, I felt the same way as I did when I watched it last year. Mm-hmm. But with 2001, like I said, it, it just grows with you. Um, yeah. I think Matt, Matt first used that that phrasing, and I think it's right. perfect that the film grows as you grow as a person. Um Mm-hmm. And that's, it's just, I don't know. I think just the, the way you react to it is yeah. just so unlike 
any other movie I've seen. Yeah. You know, I it, it it's almost like we're going in circles. It is good conversation and and you bring up good points. But uh to kind of counter that, I I feel like I'm I made points about how I don't think the plot is all that revolutionary. I, like the story was was pretty cool at best. I love the I, I like the idea of the monoliths. I like pondering uh where we came from and and even more importantly where we're going. Mm-hmm. Um, that stuff is cool, but as a movie, I, I just wrote this down. I just wrote down this note and underlined it twice. Um, we're coming down to a fundamental question that might even be a little too heady for this show. What makes a thing good? Yeah. Yeah. True. That's, Which, uh, none of us are, the three of us are not qualified to answer that question. That's, we that's literally. Certainly qualified to ask. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. What's that? I said that's that's literally philosophy. It is yeah. right. It, exactly. So yeah. so we could say philosophy of film. What makes a film good? Again, it's fair to ask. We're not qualified to answer. But that I think is why two thousand one rocked me to the core. Mm-hmm. Because this thing is supposed to be good. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think it was good. And you know what? I, we. We all know how we feel about the Academy. Um, the Academy did not think 2001 was good. Right. <laughs> Too far ahead of its time. Yeah. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> it did win the Oscar for uh, Achievement in Special Effects. Yeah. Yeah, that's that was right. It. It's. I don't know. I just. I don't. I don't know how to argue against it. Um, or argue. Because, I mean. It's it's a movie that is that it's it's too personal of a film because like is. I said it's just whatever you take away from it is yours and yeah. no one can change it. Yeah. It's just what it is. So, so Mike you said that you uh regret seeing it. <laughs> I do, yeah. So I I think it's fair to say you'll never see it again. Probably not. Yeah. M- maybe I I can't say that I won't ever. Right. Maybe I'll I, you know, I've subjected myself subjected myself to more than one viewing of several movies I wish I hadn't. I've seen <laughs> Biodome far too many times. <laughs> uh, I've given Pauly Shore is Dead far too many chances. Wow. <laughs> but uh, probably not. Probably, probably not until I clear some more Gap movies off my list. That's right. for sure. Kinda... Let me let me also say I love this experiment that we're doing, and oh, we yeah. haven't done your two movies yet. Right. Mm-hmm. This is a blast, and I think this is a brilliant idea. Oh yeah. I I just love yeah. that we're talking about this movie. I just wish it wasn't two thousand one. I know, and it's like the, like like my point with with asking you if you were ever going to see it again. I wonder if in like five ten years maybe. I'm, I I kind of wonder because we. Like me and Tiny, we both agree that it's it's a movie that changes with us. I wonder how it will change with you as you as you go on. Um, I I doubt I don't know I don't think you'll ever come around to it because I mean yeah, like I, I said, doubt I will too. It's just not your type of movie, or it's right. not it's not. Everyone has different tastes. It's not. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What what did you did you get anything from the ending? Like, did you have any any thoughts about? The, insights into what happens yeah like like the star child for example like did you yeah get... 
Um, well, the Star Child is the next evolution of Dave. Right. Uh, I think. Um, he goes through that Stargate, which we, as humans, cannot understand because he touches the monolith uh, one or two more times than we have up to this point, mm-hmm. you know, in 2013 or, like, say, 1998 mm-hmm. in 2001 time, Stanley Kubrick time. You know what I mean? Right. Like, up to the point before they touch the monolith on the moon. Um. That's where we are right now. So anyway, whatever happens can't be perceived by us because it hasn't happened yet. We haven't touched the monolith again. So uh, he either touches the monolith and then goes through the Stargate or the Stargate is the monolith. I'm not sure. I don't know that anybody can convince me or convince themselves anyway. Um, He ages quickly and then is reborn as the star child returning to Earth to, to bring on the next stage of evolution. Right. I think. What do you make of of the the scene where he's he's aging and he's like it's he sees him his, his old version of himself kind of in this room and all that. What do you make of that? I think he's having a head trip. Um I think the the alien technology is making him see his life. Maybe perhaps there's a fourth dimension where you can kind of step out and and see time. Um, who described time? Oh, Neil deGrasse Tyson actually on the Nerdist nice. described a good, uh, good description of what the fourth dimension would be like and how an ant is walking in a straight line. If you just put like a piece of paper down, it can't fathom crawling over the paper because it only understands the flat line. Right. But we, of course, would just say, well, you step over the paper, you step over the whatever. Uh, whatever Dave was thinking, seeing in that scene is something we can't comprehend. And I think, it allowed him to step outside his body and, and see himself age rapidly. Interesting. It's uh, interesting that you uh, you went with the alien theory because at no point is it necessarily suggested that it's aliens. Um, um because you can interpret alien the mo- in that it's not of Earth. Okay, right? but it's. I, I'm, go ahead. I was. I've always one one of my latest theories or whatever interpretations is that the monolith is sort of like the black monolith is sort of like the shared consciousness of the human race, the human species, because okay. um, we all have this interconnectedness that we that we have all these religions and theories about, and you know, I that's that's the the monolith is sort of like the pantheistic. It's like the. It's like the physical representation of this this connection that we all have, mm-hmm. and so it's not alien to me. It's actually really personal, and it's that's I don't know. I can't. I haven't seen the movie recently. I need to. Um, but I, I I I didn't get anything alien about it. It was all even the first time. The first time, maybe yeah, but yeah. but not 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 this time around. Interesting. Totally. I. I've always kind of like recently I, I've I've prescribed to the alien theory of it and that I, I like thinking that the vision of him eating his food as an old man and, and laying in bed as an old man and then the monolith appearing at the end of his bed. I I like thinking of that as I, I as him being kind of captive by the by like an alien race or something who's kind of Yeah, it's a zoo. Yeah. I, I like thinking of that. Like he's 
he's on display and maybe it's not not necessarily a zoo maybe it's like a science experiment where these aliens are kind of they're basically um they're they're pretty much adding stuff to humanity and to the human race and as they have been throughout history in in the movie i kind of like thinking of that and that we see the monolith when when the apes touch it or whatever um uh at the dawn of man, which I will, I will concede or, or I will fully say that the dawn of man goes on way too long in that movie. I was um, interested in every minute of it. Take that. Really? Yep. <laughs> that <laughs> was not even close to what was most boring about that movie. Oh, wow. Yep. That huh. to me was interesting. Wow. Interesting. Uh-huh. I was huh. fully engaged. I, I even said, you know, some of these shots are going on too long. Mm hmm. But uh, as far as what was being told to me, non-verbally, story-wise, was mm-hmm. interesting. I liked the storytelling aspect of it, not not having any dialogue, obviously, or anything like that. But I just thought, I mean, it's a space movie. Get to space. Mm-hmm. I see the point. There, he's trying to show like like the monolith is imparting this this knowledge of 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 using weapons and stuff and and pushing evolution forward and all that. Mm-hmm. But do they develop how? After uh, their run-in with the monolith on the moon. Yep. Okay, that's what. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I, I kind of wonder. And that also brings up. Well, that also brings up another question. I mean, yeah, after, it's like I kind of disagree what the next step would be. I I think yeah. the next step would would be the next step of Hal. I felt like the point. Well, I don't know. The point well, of inventing Hal is like that's the next stage in evolution mm-hmm. is is this ultimate computer mind. Mm-hmm. But of course that's not true because Hal messes up. Right. Well, what about this? What about do they each stage of like every time he touches the monolith or the the monkeys touch the monolith, it they develop weapons. Uh mm-hmm. humans touch it on the moon, they develop Hal. Hal is a malevolent um villain pretty much mm-hmm. is are we supposed to is, every time they touch the monolith is it is it a detriment we're to getting humanity? closer to our demise yeah maybe then you have to ask what is the star child gonna do yeah i don't know, I don't know. Uh, this is all well and good this is all yeah. interesting conversation and i'll yeah. give the movie that okay i know i said before there are more interesting interesting stories that have the same type of have you guys ever read chariots of the gods no no it's similar it's i won't i won't say it's the same thing at all but it's similar like where did where did we come from uh where are we going kind of thing um so it's it's good in that uh and it's good that it asks questions i bet i would be more interested in the book yeah, I I know that there's a lot more to it. It was, it's like kind of funny because Arthur C. Clarke and Kubrick they they developed the story, the the movie and the book concurrently. Like they were working right. on the book as they were working on the movie, right? And so it's it's an interesting. It would be an interesting experiment to read the book and watch the movie because it's an exchange of ideas throughout mm-hmm. both mediums. But yeah, so the bottom line is you didn't like it, but do you? Uh, I don't, I don't you were going to ask, do I, do I see why so many people like it? Do I appreciate it? The answer is no and no. Okay. <laughs> do, do you appreciate the conversation it can inspire? <sighs> that there is one? Sure. 
<laughs> I feel like you're just trying to get me to say something that, that I, I don't mean. No, no, no. I'm just trying to get kind of a, a, a full scale kind of thing. Uh, whatever. I don't know. I don't I'll know. Say, sure, it's fun to talk about, but there are. Let's 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 spend an hour talking about Pulp Fiction instead. Okay. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hmm. So there we go. Yeah. I guess Tiny, so. you watched <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street. I watched it. Yes, I did. Um, I, it was okay. That's, That's it. fair. <laughs> no, um, moving on, Matt. <laughs> awesome. Uh, um, no, you guys, you guys kind of know how I, I, I feel about horror. I'm kind of the, uh, the, uh, I don't know, the dark horse or the black sheep of this group. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's plenty of horror that I appreciate and like a lot. Um, this movie was, I think, sort of, despite the fact that it had a, has a sort of original idea, was was pretty typical. Um, just in the fact that it had, you know, not not that great of acting, not awful like some horror can have, but nothing especially impressive. Um, dialogue and scripts were nothing special, nothing to to look at um, or to to write home about. Um, which bothers me because horror can have that. I just feel like maybe in the eighties horror was still, I don't, was still kind of developing or evolving to, to, to the point where it can be that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But, um, so in that sense it was typical, but it does have this advantage. The film does have this advantage of, uh, a really brilliant idea about this, horrendous villain who can kill you when you are at your most vulnerable mm-hmm. and you have to be at your most vulnerable or you're going to die meaning you have to sleep or you're going to die anyways so it has this the 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 concept has this eventuality to it that it is unavoidable you're going to have to confront this so it 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 posits this incredible conflict in that sense that that's what's really brilliant about this idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was, I was a little bit let down by Freddy Krueger. I, I mean, I didn't think he was just at, just objectively as like a character wasn't super scary. I think it's terrifying that he, you are completely at his mercy in the dream world because that's his world and he controls the physics of it. That's scary. But the dude just had a claw and had a really crazy looking face. I mean, it, it was it was sort of standard. Nothing real, nothing real. I don't know, scary to me. Um, but he he gets his, his the, the scary aspect of the film comes through the environment because, like I said, you're completely at his mercy, um, which is demonstrated in the film, and that you can't you can't get away from him, and he he is not subject to the normal physics of our natural world that's that's really scary um i liked uh a lot of the the methods or the 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 ways that 
the murders happened. Um, my favorite was when uh, Johnny Depp was killed in the movie, when he was sucked into the bed, and then that really cool shot of the blood, you know, falling to the ceiling, falling up to the ceiling. That was a really cool shot. I liked that a lot. That was really cool. Um, when the the blonde character, the first time we see Freddie, I don't remember her name. Um, when she was being chased by Freddie, and he had these really long arms, and like she couldn't get away from him, she was he was chasing her down an alley. That was cool. That was that was creepy and scary. I liked that. That, by the way, is the scene in part one I was referring to. Is it okay? I was wondering that shot. Yeah, when he chases her down the alleyway in his arms. That that's still an image that'll pop into my head every now and then. That'll give me the bad chills. Wow. Yeah, that was that was scary. That was good. Yeah. Um, so there was that, and then I liked I I, I enjoyed the conflict um, to an extent. I, I liked how this this uh, the the main character. Um, was was intent on resolving this she she came to the conclusion that this isn't something i can just kind of run from i'm gonna have to deal with this myself um and she eventually does which which was which was good it's just it was just all done so clumsily which i think is kind of a characteristic of horror from this time period it just it's it's just not a very nuanced it was. It wasn't done with with nuance. It was. It was just clunky and just like I said, the, the script wasn't great. Acting wasn't great. Um, but you can still recognize the themes, and I. That's what I appreciated about it. But uh, I don't know. I, I probably won't watch it again. <laughs> hmm. um, I can. Uh, to to one up Mike, I can appreciate it. <laughs> I I get why people like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. I had to rub it in. No, that's fine. But again, yeah, you know, 2001 and, and Nightmare on Elm Street are not com- comparable at all again. No. Um, so, yeah. of course, I can understand why people get it. So, yeah. Okay. Matt, your thoughts? Well, I can understand where you're coming from. And I, I to an extent, I actually felt the same way um, when I first saw it. But when I, when I watched it again... Uh, uh, when was it? Like a year or two ago. Um, I just got like a really weird new appreciation for it. I, I thought that it was really well executed. Um, uh, better than I had given credit for when I, when I was a teenager, when I first saw it. Um, I love the, there's one thing in particular that it's, it's not, it's the comic relief that Johnny Depp's character provides. I think it's Johnny Depp's character in the scene where he's, I think he's like calling his mom and he has the, the tape playing with, with the car noises or something like that. But it, yeah. it plays out like it, it, it runs up to, it's, uh, to the wrong point in the tape and it has like gunfire or something like that. Yeah. I thought that that was just hysterical. That's really good. Um, You guys are right. I love Johnny Depp. He yep, was yeah. so great. It's the it was it's the first example of his, or at least that I've seen of his intrinsic charm that he he was so famous for for so long that I feel like he's just gotten away from over the last decade or so. Yeah, he's yeah. just not he doesn't have that charm value to him anymore. But it was on full display in this movie, and I oh, yeah. I liked it a lot. Um, and yeah, you referenced the the scene with with the bed. Man, that is one of my favorite favorite uh, scenes. Very cool. Um, 
It's so it's such an iconic horror image. Oh yeah. That you can't not just say, "Wow, that's awesome." Yeah. And maybe it's my maybe it's my knowledge or or having seen the uh having seen having having seen the sequels before I'd even watched the the original um because I remember that I I, may, I think I mentioned this in the first part of this but um there was a marathon and I, I started in a, at like Dream Warriors or something mm-hmm. but so you were fortunate enough to to have missed part 2 yeah although I did circle back and see that man one of the worst movies I've ever seen bar none. ever seen it is in my ever. top 3 worst ever seen oh man that's wow. a whole other topic for another discussion but mm-hmm. um I will disagree with you tiny that I or I mean not disagree with you because it's your your opinion, but I I found Freddy or Fred as he's referred to in this movie. I found yep. him just just really creepy and and, and chilling. Even um, the scene with uh, with him kind of I think there was uh, I don't was this the arm scene um, or was it before this? But the, it's just really creepy. He has that kind of gravelly kind of growl, I guess. Um, throughout it, that was in the that was in the original, right? Yep. Yeah, and it was it was no just jokes, really no jokes until the till the third one. Exactly. Or you can argue that the second one had a lot of jokes because he was, you know, that whole movie's a joke. Yeah. But um, but no, it, it was just it was just really atmospheric and creepy, and it, it really added from the from the really cool concept of being in dreams and and him, like you said, being able to control the physics of the world and everything. It was just really really eerie and i liked it a lot and that may be due to me having seen the the sequels and and being familiar with him as a comical persona rather than a villain but see my point is that's not that's not fred that's scary it's the situation that's scary like i said if you if you take him and put him into our world he's just a dude with a claw right There's right. nothing special about him. It's just the fact that you are in his world and subject to his whim and the physics of that world. That's what's scary. But it, like, like when she brings him into this world or whatever at, in the climax, which I thought that was that was another cool part of it that she was able to do that. She figured it out. Um, he he was just a dude with a claw. I mean, granted, he's he's dead. You know, uh, it doesn't make sense. So you have that that right. paradox there, but. Like I said, he he's just he's just a dude with the claw. Um, yeah, yeah, and it may be more more of me being just kind of creeped out by just the situational aspect of it, the 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 concept of it. Because there's that scene where she's she's on the phone with her dad, like it's right before the big climax where they have boarded up every like all the doors and everything because they need her to go to sleep and all that. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I thought about that as, and that's, when I'd originally seen the movie, it was when I was a teenager. And then when I saw it recently, it was when I'm in my late 20s, in mid to late 20s. Um, <laughs> and it's kind of, it's an interesting thing to see it in that, from that viewpoint, because I'm seeing it as, okay, well, if I had a kid or something and they're not sleeping, I'm going to want to make them go to sleep as much as possible, and I'm not going to listen to their nonsense stories of this, right. this crazy stuff happening. I mean, it's obviously, just thinking about it, logically speaking, there's no reason for the for the parents to believe her or anything because it's so out there. And it's just this really, really kind of creepy thing that, that 
comes about with that because there's nothing that she can do to convince them that what's happening is real uh to quote the to quote the remake uh these dreams they're real real. (laughs) yeah um but i mean it's just it's just creepy so i don't know that's my take on it uh mike you've been pretty quiet yeah i was oh i was just letting everybody talk my throat hurts from all i had to say about 2001 (laughs) (laughs) um you know, I know we picked that for for your Gap movie, which kind of almost implies that um, Nightmare is a favorite. But I I think Matt likes it maybe even more than I do, and I think it's the uh, I think it's the the Jason Voorhees bias bias that I have. <clears throat> um, so I've always just kind of preferred the Friday movies, and um, so I'm totally fine with everything you had to say about it. Right. Um, Though I'm on Matt's side, I, I think he's pretty scary. And I I wonder if you're affected by just the perception of Freddy. I don't know. Um, what do you think of the the very ending, the, the twist ending? The twist ending. The How he, he, it was all a dream, but then he comes back and kills the mom or whatever happens. I didn't think much of it. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't really remember it. Yeah, it frustrates me. Yeah, it frustrates me because I I think about it a lot, and I I think it's kind of silly. I mean, it's the the fact that he, I don't know. There's just so much to point out. It's just that it's how can you really kill him if he's already dead? Exactly. So, so exactly. of course he can come back. You know. I and I think that the remake handled that better. When he comes back at the end, yeah. uh, what I don't like is the whole "it was all a dream, mom's still alive" thing. Mm, yeah, unless she was still dreaming, but they should have alluded to that. I don't know. I I thought uh, the movie does not stick the landing. Right. Um. Huh. But, what about so? It's all a dream. Where did that say? I. It's been a while since I've seen it. Um. Well, the movie ends with, you know, I don't, I don't believe you or I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of you. And so he kind of disappears and then it fades to white. And so she walks out the front door and all of her friends are still alive and show up. Uh, and her mom is still there and gives her a kiss goodbye and she gets in the car and the top comes down and it's red and green like the sweater and his arm comes out of the window and pulls the mother in through the window. Yeah. What so, is that? Is that another dream? Is she dreaming? So why didn't we see her fall asleep? Is her her mom doesn't doesn't die in the movie before that, right? Um, no, I guess not. No. So i i would I would venture to say that it, it is a new, just a new dream. I don't know about the because she's in a couple of the sequels, right? Her uh, uh, Heather Langenkamp is that her name? Yes, um, she returns for Dream Warriors. Yeah. And for New Nightmare. Right. Um, so it's kind of, I mean, it stands to reason that it's just a new, it's just to say that, oh, he's still there and he's still going to try to kill them. And it's, I mean, it's a common horror movie trope from, I mean, even, um, I mean, it happens at the end of, of Friday the 13th, right? And uh, mm-hmm. I think Carrie also. It's not the fake out that bothers me. Okay. okay. It's that we don't see her go to sleep. 
There is nothing to indicate that she's asleep. They they really make it seem, and it's been a couple years since I've seen it. They really make it seem like um, everything that happened was a dream, and now her friends are alive. Huh. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I would, I don't really have a problem with it in that in those terms because I don't see it as being. Uh, a need for her to show her going back to sleep. I understand that, that like, yeah, seeing her friends alive again is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, if it's maybe they're just part of the dream, and and I mean, I don't. That does raise some interesting questions because if if it's part of the dream, then is it even even is it her dream or is it her mom's dream? It could yep. be her mom's dream that and her mom get, gets killed like that. Maybe it's supposed to infer that. He's going after the parents now because the parents did that to him or whatever. Right. Um, but, I mean, you know, I would say that you can watch the sequel to find out if it's answered, but... Uh, <laughs> no, this, uh, no, you couldn't. Uh, um, th- when did the remake come out? 2009, 10? Something like that. So, 10, 2010, yeah. 2010. 10. I, I saw that when it came out. And... April, actually. Oh, did it really? April 2010, yeah. Okay. Anyways, I saw that when it came out. I may have watched it as like a 2010 Sharktober movie. I can't remember. But uh, Mm -hmm. one of the things I liked way more about that remake than this original was that um, one of my – it has become one of my pet peeves of film that it is always, always, always better to show your audience something than to tell your audience something. Um, Sure. Don't be lazy and just work it into the dialogue. Give us a scene. So one thing I liked so much better about the remake was that we get to see what we get to see the creation of the entity of Fred Krueger. You know, we get to see we get to see him be a creepy guy who murders children and how the townspeople take revenge on him for that. But in this original, we just get a story from the mom, right. which was so unsatisfying to me. Knowing knowing that that's the root of this, yeah. All we get is a stupid story from a mom written with clunky dialogue and not great acting. Whereas in the remake, we get this, we get scenes, and it's so much more satisfying. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a similar um, similar to my interpretation of the Halloween original and the remake. I I loved seeing how. Michael Myers was created. We we get the little prologue in the original Halloween film, which is fantastic, but it doesn't have as much depth as what Rob Zombie gave us. And I think that's a similar theme that I have between these two these two movies. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure on, I'm uh, sure Mike hates me. <laughs> no, I've, I I know how you feel about the Halloween remake. Yeah. Right. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984, FAQ on IMDb. What exactly happens at the end of the film? At the end of the film, Nancy leaves her house telling her mother that she feels great. Then she gets into a car with Glenn, Tina, and Rod. And for a moment, the implication is that everything that we've seen in the film is a dream. The car then, however, takes control of itself, locking the doors and windows and driving down the street on its own volition. At this point, Marge, the mother, is pulled back through the house door by Freddy's gloved hand. This scene has provoked considerable debate amongst fans as to what exactly happens, especially in light of the fact that Nancy returns in Dream Warriors Part 3. 
It also complicates what exactly happens to Marge, as she was apparently killed by Freddy in the real world only moments before the dream begins. There's, there's your answer oh, to that. Oh, okay. We were mistaken. However, if she was killed, killed in real life, why did she sink into the bed, and how did Freddy subsequently rise from that bed? The most popular theory is simply that everything in the last 20 minutes of the film is a dream, i.e. Nancy never pulls Freddy into reality. When she wakes up with the rose bushes in her bed, she's in fact still dreaming, and the whole final sequence is a dream um and then it says craven said he was compelled by producer robert shea to shoot the twist ending craven says in my version the film ended with nancy turning her back on freddy and telling him he was nothing it showed that evil can be confronted and diminished in the sense that nancy had become as tough as freddy and was able to turn away from him huh cool yeah Yeah, i I kind of, yeah, that that's interesting. Um, yeah, I didn't put that much thought into it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's I, always bugged me. Yeah, I don't, I don't like that. It's uh, like just the fact that the filmmaker was compelled, that Craven was compelled to do the twist ending, because the twist ending. I mean, it was in eighty four. Uh, Friday the Thirteenth was in eighty. 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 Yeah. Eighty, and 80, then. Yeah. Carrie was like seventy because Carrie ends with a fake out kind of or, or a, a similar kind of ending, doesn't it? Yeah, with her uh, coming out from under the ground under the the yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. Nineteen seventy six, by the 76. way. Seventy six, and then I mean, uh, countless other horror movies have that same kind of thing. It's kind of just a a kind of cliche at this point. So I mean, it's kind of unnecessary, kind of in derivative in a kind of abstract sense of the word. Um, yeah. So yeah, I like when movies give a definitive ending. Yeah, I'm, and maybe it's because I like a happy ending. I like when there's closure, and I like when the bad guy dies. Yeah, a lot, almost almost because it's antithetical to what is now so commonly the ending. Right, right. Of movies, I feel like another thing of note that that, that I noticed that I thought was fun was the sex appeal in the movie. Um. Another trope of horror is that you're going to see a girl's boobs at some point, right? Right. Um, female yeah. female objectivity and nudity is a staple of horror, uh, uh-huh. which is one of my favorite parts of it. Um, but what was so funny about this movie is there, there was, you know, the two characters had sex early on in the movie, and we hear them, and it's funny. But we never, like, we don't really get to see the girl naked, but we get to see that guy later on. He's like hardly ever wears a shirt in the whole movie. Yep. And, and then Johnny we Depp get, has only just, half a shirt on. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. We get yeah. dreamy Johnny Depp with his big hair and his deep eyes and his awesome abs laying on the bed looking all handsome and dreamy. It's, it's, it's funny to me. And, you know, the two actresses, they're attractive. You know, they're good-looking girls, but they just it's they didn't really take much advantage of it. It was kind of funny. Yeah. If you want to see homoerotic implication... You need to see Nightmare on Elm Street too yeah. for his revenge. Really, it's, the it's, whole movie. It's it's we it's almost it's almost interesting as just just uh, um as as a viewing experience just to see how homoerotic it is and how really yeah. weird it is. Um, is Wes Craven gay? Oh, he didn't have anything to do with the scene. No, he didn't do the second. Oh, movie. really? He didn't. Uh, okay. Um, I don't know who did it, but it was just it was. Man, it was weird. Yeah, and um, just bad. 
I mean, yeah, yeah. homoeroticism aside, it's a yeah. stupid movie. It really is. It's it's really. Uh, Jack yeah. Shoulder is the director of that movie. Okay. And if your response to that is who, <laughs> uh, you're uh, not alone. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so, uh, I I I do kind of want to see it again some at some point, and I want to see the remake again. Mm-hmm. Maybe this Shocktober, a future Shocktober, I'll 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 revisit them. Nice. What I like so. about the remake a lot is the inclusion of Micro Dreams. Yes. Um, yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. I, I thought that just was miles ahead of... Almost. Streets ahead. <laughs> it was streets ahead. Streets ahead. Elm Streets ahead. Elm Streets ahead. There oh, you go. Damn it. <laughs> I'm ashamed I didn't think of that. Damn it. Um, <laughs> no, it was Elm Streets ahead of... Uh, of uh, I would almost go as far as say as anything in the, in the original. Um... And maybe it's because I watched it as a a third shift security guard who's constantly sleep deprived, so I know about the uh, how how micro dreams operate and all that. So no, I, I, it's not because of that; it's because it's a better movie. <laughs> yeah, it is better. Uh, the the remake is better. We we talked about it before on a on a potpourri, I think, and I can't remember when or what we said, but how IGN had that list of the best remakes from the eighties. Uh-huh. And theirs was Friday the Thirteenth, and I think the Nightmare remake is far superior, and right, just as right. good, if not slightly better, than the original. Yeah, yeah. So, I loved Jackie Earl Haley. Oh yeah, so yeah, perfect. Yeah, scarier. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, there we have it. Cool, Matt. Cool. You watched Karate Kid. I did, mm-hmm. uh, and I loved it. Nice. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I didn't write out a big a big spiel about it, so I'll just kind of freeball it here. But I loved the like like Mike. You mentioned the the coming of age aspect of it. I loved that, but more yep. importantly than that, I loved the characterization of Ralph Macchio's character. Like he's. He's yep. kind of this this victim of bullying and and like these these guys are just complete assholes to him throughout it but he is a charming and likable guy and he's like something about that just kind of like he's not like a dopey kind of like oh I'm getting bullied help me Mr. Miyagi he's like he's kind of a little smart ass and he's he's really he's a cool guy um so I, I liked that, and then just the the aesthetic of of the Cobra Kai guys and on their dirt bikes and everything. It was just it was so it was cheesy, but it didn't detract from the movie because it was just it was just right, just what the movie needed. It was like kind of on. Matt, the- Matt texted us while I was watching the movie to say, "I need to get a dirt bike." <laughs> yeah, he yeah, did exactly, <laughs> um, and it was just, and I liked that the. I liked that the the love story between uh, um, 
Daniel and I can't remember the girl's name, um, Elizabeth Shue's character. Mm-hmm. But I, I love that the love story between them wasn't played up too dramatic. Like it was, it, it had their rocky moments and all that. Um, rocky moments. Um, they had kind of, kind of a, a touch and go kind of thing. Like they kind of same broke director. Up for a while. That's funny, right? Um, <laughs> but it was kind of an organic kind of thing. Like it's not it didn't feel forced or, or like their little breakup in the, in the middle part of the movie wasn't forced or anything like that. It was just an organic kind of way for the character to develop and all that, uh, for the characters to develop. I, I just thought it was a really kind of cool way to show where, whereas like movies like nowadays or, or past movies or, or whatever, they would play that up for the most dramatic value. And that's something that just wasn't done in the Karate Kid, which is something I really respect. Um, uh, Pat Mar- Pat Morita, um, yeah. fantastic, yes. loved him, loved him. In uh, I think in the first part, you guys referenced the uh, the character development of him, the backstory, the totally unnecessary, but totally awesome. Yeah, backstory. yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. It was. It was. It was unnecessary. Not so much because the story didn't need it, but because with movies like this, you don't really get that a lot. It's more about right. The, that's what I mean. Yeah, it was more about the mentee in, instead of the mentor. I don't know if mentee is an actual word, the pupil <laughs> or whatever. But it was so satisfying and so heartbreaking. Um, in his movies, with movies like that, if you usually get that, it's not that well done. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas, whereas right. in this movie, it was, I would, I would say it was expertly done. Yeah, and it, it was a complete shock to me because I was not expecting that at all. Like I'd, I, I think I'd completely forgotten that you guys had talked about it. Yeah, or I'm glad we teased it, it and it, and it yeah. surprised you. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It was like because I, I kind of. I saw him. I was like, "Oh, that's that's cool. That's cool. Uh, Mr. Miyagi's drunk. Okay, cool. Oh, he's oh, he's giving drinks to 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 Daniel. Okay, all right. Uh, that's funny. That's whatever. Eighties. Um, and then like he kind of un- reveals why he's drunk and what what's going on. It's like, man, that just kicked my ass. Um, I, I liked the um." the the dichotomy or the, or the 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 contrast between Mr. Miyagi and the Cobra Kai sensei not I mean he wasn't really that prominent or anything like that it was kind of a to be honest he was kind of the sensei was kind of a kind of a just a, a one dimensional kind of kind of villain thing but I kind of like those scenes where where uh where where uh where mr miyagi's kind of like looking at him and kind of like it's it, it was kind of neat to see those kind of two characters kind of in the same room i guess because it's it's about the kids but there's also these these authority figures these mentors that are kind of above the kids and it's kind of interesting to see them kind of matched up a little bit and the, at least that one scene where they're talking and then the end scene and the end tournament where they're kind of just glaring at each other <laughs> Um, uh, comic relief was also great. Like I said, Ralph Macchio was fantastic as in, in very likable and very funny. Um, like there was <laughs> like at the end when, when they're at the tournament and, uh, and, <laughs> and they're, they're saying that the girl can't, 
can't be on the floor with them or whatever. And then, and then Daniel's just like, yeah, he, uh, she's a translator. I can't understand him. And then, uh, <laughs> and, then and then Mr. Miyagi like says to the guys like, uh, thank you or you're welcome or something like that. And then there's yeah. this, this pl- puzzled look on the official's face. I just, I, I lost it. I was cracking up. Um, uh, William Zapka or Billy Zapka. He, he was a good villain. Um, I like that the characters were, uh, that the, the Cobra Kai, um, uh, kids weren't, uh, that they kind of questioned the sensei a little bit. Like the one guy, um, uh, when he, when he, when he was told to, to eliminate Daniel, he's like, he's shouting, I'm sorry. And all that stuff. I, I liked that. It was kind of showed that they, that there's a human side to the villains are not one dimensional as the sensei kind of was. Um, and then just, and then I guess my only real criticism, I guess, or the only thing that I really didn't like, um, was the ending was a little abrupt that I kind of wish that, and if, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a while since I saw Rocky, but it ends very similarly. I think does Rocky mm-hmm. end with just, just him win or losing or whatever. Uh, there's a little bit more. I, they're okay. still in the ring and he's talking to Adrian and he's like, you know. We did it. We did it. Okay. It. No, the we did it is Rocky two. They hmm. they do a little bit. He basically just says, "I love you. I love you." And okay. I kind of wish that there would have been kind of like just a little bit of a denouement, I guess. But that's a small complaint given the given the rest of the movie. Uh, crane kick was really badass. <laughs> yeah. It looks a little silly, but it, it was it was it was I I I just I laughed at like that's so awesome. Um, and then there was one other thing I can't really remember now that I, now that I'm rambling. Oh, the, the relationship between, uh, Daniel and his mom, it was very, it was very pleasant. Um, cause I mean like, uh, Mr. Miyagi's kind of a father figure and I like that. I liked that he was a father figure for Daniel, but. Daniel, I, I wasn't expecting that Daniel would be a, a son figure for Mr. Miyagi. I just didn't anticipate that. Yeah. Um, and I thought that that was just a really great display in, in the show or the, or in a really great part of the movie. And I, but what I liked was that it wasn't like Daniel was really seeking a father figure. I mean, he kind of needed one for, for the bullies and all that, but his relationship with his mom was, was really good. Like they, they had a good back and forth. I mean, there was a scene where, um, the mother or, or, uh, he kind of got mad at his mom just because he, he was pissed off about living there. But for the most part, they had a really, really, uh, really good relationship. And I kind of liked that. It was, it was, it was, a point that could have been ripe for melodrama, but it wasn't, and it really uh, served the story very well. So that's pretty much what I thought of Karate Kid. Uh, what do you guys think? I like the, your point about his relationship with his mom because that's such that that's very antithetical to to a typical teen film. Typically, mm-hmm. teenagers don't get along with their parents, and they're right their pains in the ass and it's it's emphasized in like every teen movie ever yeah but this didn't have that and and it was a very it was very refreshing and, and a nice thing to see i agree mm-hmm. yeah i agree you you pretty much hit on everything we said uh in the first segment about why you should see it yeah <laughs> if you want to see glad. an example 
I was going to say, if you want to see an example of how Karate Kid could be a bad movie, watch the movie Never Back Down. <laughs> it's the exact same movie, except ridiculous, and it sucks. And it's watch that movie though because it's hilarious. It's it's one of those movies that's so bad it's fun to watch. Tread um, tread lightly, Tiny, because Amber Heard's in that movie, and you know I love her. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me, me too. But. <laughs> So is Cam Gigande. Yes, that's right. Cam Gigande. Cam Gigande. Anyways. Um, so, wow, I need to watch that movie again for the last. So, it's so funny. Yeah. Um, question about the Karate Kid. I was like, about halfway through, I was just like, okay, I need to buy this movie. Is there a, a definitive edition, like on Blu-ray or DVD? I have no idea. I don't know. Okay, because I, I was there. There was the DVD box set that came out in 2005, and I think they released them individually on Blu-ray. But I don't know that there is a definitive must-own version. Okay, because I was kind of like I'm a I'm a nerd for collecting stuff and all that, and I kind of wish that there was like a like a, uh, like a 30th anniversary kind of thing. 30th anniversary is that right? Yeah, that's right. We're that old. Yeah. Wow. Um, like a 30th anniversary kind of edition, but there isn't. So I'm not sure if I should hold out or whatever. Let me ask you guys this. Mm-hmm. Sequels. I'm not sure Worth I've seen seeing? any of them. You've never seen any of them? I don't think I have. Um, Worth seeing. They, they all, the second one takes place uh, or, or picks up seconds after the first one ends. Oh, really? And, and the, yeah, and the third one does the same. Uh, no, it doesn't. The third one takes place... The third one is about the tournament the next year. Okay. And he wants to go back and do the tournament again, and uh, Mr. Miyagi doesn't think he should. The second one, they go to Okinawa. Huh. And uh, they're okay. They're interesting. Okay. Uh, if you had any emotional investment in all their relationships, he has a new girlfriend in every movie. Oh, really? So that kind of sucks as far as continuity is concerned. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's. I guess they're high school kids, and that's what happens. Yeah, but, that's what I was gonna say. You know, but still, it's it's better that than than try to recast someone. Right. Um, they're okay. They're worth seeing if you love the first one and you want a little more and he, and you want to see the Karate Kid saga. Mm-hmm. It's not as brilliant. They're not as brilliant as the first one. Okay. Um, I've seen the next Karate Kid one time <laughs> and it's not that good. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine that it is. No. Um, I like, um, I like some of the, I like a lot of the 80s staples that are in the movie too. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, the big hair and the ridiculous music, um, that we've, we've all, we kind of like it, but we sort of make fun of it at the same time. Um, yeah. and then, uh, just the fact that the 80s was like, this was like in the, the throes of like Reagan era where it's like this anti drug thing came up. And so like, they just kind of just barely work it into the movie that like the Cobra Kai guys like in this one small <laughs> scene he's in he's in a stall rolling a joint. Right. Yeah. It's like the, it just it has to be in the movie. Like yep. you can't make a movie without it being in there. It just Jeez. it's funny. Yeah. Uh, it's not till the second movie when you get to hear Peter Cetera's Glory of Love. Huh. Oh really? Which is the Karate Kid classic. Ah, I Co- covered by Newfound Glory. 
Oh, really? The, from the Screen to Your Stereo EP. Nice. Yeah. I'm I, not uh, sure what that is. I don't know either. Wait, what? The song or? The song. The song. Yeah, yeah I don't sure. know either. I always associate the song with, uh, um, You're the Best around. Blah, blah, blah. You're the best around. <laughs> Nothing's gonna ever break you down. You're the best. Awesome. So awesome. Okay, now I know what you're talking about. The uh, oh, wait, glory that... of love is I am the man who will fight for your honor. Oh. I'll be the hero that you're dreaming of. Okay. I I don't like that. <laughs> you don't like that song? I, I don't I don't think I like it as a karate kid kind of anthem or whatever. I don't know. It, it's I don't know. No, you're the best around is better. Oh, absolutely. And I I kind of I I've forgotten about it. And then when it popped up in the in the at the end of the movie, I was like just like so pumped and excited and uh <laughs> it was it was really cool. And also another thing I really liked about the movie is that I mean I like I think I, I mentioned that I was I kind of skipped over it or or I didn't see it because my kind of kind of martial arts fix as a chi- as a as a child was uh three ninjas and like power rangers and that kind of stuff but mo- uh what i liked about karate kid is it showed it as a sport i mean it's i i didn't really see it quite like that i guess um yeah. and i just i liked uh i i i liked the movie a lot uh uh, quite a bit, actually. Nice. It was great. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so I think that yeah. about does it. I think it does. I Is that it? Was that our, our first Gap Movies episode? I think so, yeah. I'm trying well to Well done, chaps. Well done. I think it's going to be our first of many. Oh, I yeah, think I so hope too. so. Because how fun was this? Oh, it was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, I was thinking maybe next time we could pick a movie that all three of us have never seen. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, interesting. Well, we ca- we could do that with Captain America. I mean, are we going to do a Captain America episode? Are we going to do a Spider Man episode? You know. Oh right. I mean, we haven't done a movie review episode since like since yeah. like Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim, yeah. Wow, oh, man. Yeah, but you're right. We could keep it gap. Right. I'm talking about like a gap movie from like from like like a, sure like a classic yeah. or something. Right. Um. Yeah. Might be hard to do. Yeah, right. We'll figure it out. Uh, so yeah, uh, that that about does it, I guess. Should should we just count it out, or I think so. Yeah, uh, yep. I still haven't made my list, <laughs> but uh, of things I need to talk about. So I'll just go ahead and uh, count us out. Uh, thank you for listening to the Obsessive Viewer podcast, uh, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com, dot com, where you can find plenty of. Uh, good posts and everything my god's not dead review really caught fire so that was, that yeah, was fun um so check that out uh you can also find back episodes of the podcast on itunes stitcher radio and also at ovpodcast.com which is basically our index of all the episodes um let's see and then you can follow us on twitter at obsessive viewer for me matt at obsessive tiny for tiny and at i am mike white for mike and you can like us on Facebook, uh, Tumblr, Google+, all that stuff. We're all over the place. 
Uh, and let us know what you think. Email us at ovpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, what are some Gap movies that you want us to check out if, if we haven't talked about? Or, or what are some movies that, that you haven't seen? Or, or what is your perspective on, on 2001 A Space Odyssey or, or The Karate Kid or Nightmare on Elm Street? Um, really anything. Just email us there at ovpodcast at gmail.com. Also rate and review us on iTunes and, uh, vote for us for podcast of the month at podcastland.com. Uh, other than that, uh, thanks for listening, guys. Thank you. Thank you.